Act One of The Mind the Paint Girl by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play Viscount Farncombe, read by Thomas Peter. Colonel the Honorable Arthur Stidolf, read by Alan Mapstone. Baron von Rettenmeyer, read by Nemo. Captain Nicholas Jays, read by Campbell Shelp. Lionel Roper, read by Brad. Tham de Cathro, read by Aaron White. Herbert Ferguson, read by Frédéric Surgé. Stuart Heniage, read by Cavanas. Gerald Grimwood, read by April 6090. Carlton Smythe, manager of the Pandora Theatre, read by James Thomas. All But Pock, actor at the Pandora, read by Sandra Schmidt. Wilfred Tavish, actor at the Pandora, read by Philip Watson. Vincent Bland a musical composer attached to the pandora read by todd morris cooling business manager of the pandora read by jim locke luigi maitre d'hotel at catanis restaurant read by pierre the honorable mrs arthur stadolf formerly as Dolly Enzer of the Pandora Theatre, read by T.J. Burns. Lily Paradell of the Pandora, read by phone. Jimmy Birch of the Pandora, read by Sonia. Gabrielle Cato of the Pandora, read by Pauline Latournerie. Enid Moncrief of the Pandora, read by Leanne Yao. Daphne Durr of the Pandora, read by Emma Hatton. Nita Trevena of the Pandora, read by Lex Hankins. Flo Conifee, one of four beauties of the Pandora, read by Eva Davis. Sibyl Dermot, one of four beauties of the Pandora, read by Abai. Olga Cook, one of four beauties of the Pandora. Read by Devora Allen. Evangeline Ventress, one of the four beauties of Pandora. Read by Elsie Selwyn. Mrs. Upjohn, Lily Paradell's mother. Recording by Tracy Duckett. Gladys, Lily's parlor maid. Read by Eva Davis. Maud, Lily's maid. Read by Lian Yao. Stage directions read by Larry Wilson. The action of the piece takes place in London at Lily Paradell's house in Bloomsbury in the foyer of the Pandora Theatre and again at Lily's house. The curtain will be lowered for a few moments in the course of the second act. Mind the Paint Girl, Act One. The scene is a drawing room prettily but somewhat shoyly decorated. The walls are papered with a design representing large clusters of white and purple lilac. The furniture is covered with a chintz of similar pattern, and the curtains, carpet, and lampshades correspond. In the wall facing the spectator are two windows, 
and midway between the windows there is the entrance to a conservatory the conservatory which is seen beyond is of the kind that is built out over the portico of a front door and is plentifully stocked with flowers and hung with a valerium and green sunblights in the right-hand wall there is another window and nearer the spectator a console table supporting a high mirror and in the wall on the left opposite the console table there is a double door opening into the room the further half of which only is used in the entrance of the conservatory to the right there is a low oblong tea-table at which are placed three small chairs and nearby on the left are a grand piano and a music-stool against the piano there is a settee and on the extreme left below the door there is an armchair with a little round table beside it at the right-hand window in the wall at the back is another settee and facing this window and settee there is a smaller armchair not far from the fireplace there is a writing-table with a telephone instrument upon it a chair stands at the writing-table its back to the window in the wall on the right and in front of the table opposing the settee by the piano there is a third settee on the left of this settee almost in the middle of the room is an armchair and closer to the settee on its right are two more armchairs other articles of furniture a cabinet occasional chairs etc etc occupy spaces against the walls on the piano on the console table and cabinet on the settee at the back on the round table and upon the floor stand huge baskets of flour and other handsome floral devices in various forms with cards attached to them and lying higgledy-piggledy upon the writing-table are a heap of small packages several little cases containing jewellery and a litter of paper and string the packages and the cases of jewellery are also accompanied by cards or letters a fierce sunlight streams down upon the valerian and through the green blinds in the conservatory note throughout right and left are the spectators right and left not the actors lord farncombe his gloves in his hand is seated in the armchair in the middle of the room he is a simple-mannered immaculately dressed young man in his early twenties his bearing and appearance suggesting the soldier he rises expectantly as gladys a flashy parlour-maid in a uniform shows in lionel roper a middle-aged individual of the type of the second-class city man hello i'm in luck just the chap i'm hunting for shaking hands with farncombe how do you do lord farncombe how are you roper gladys to roper languidly and tell mrs upjohn you're here ta gladys withdraws phew it's hot miss paradell's out roper taking off his gloves she won't be long i dare say i've brought her a few flowers have you i've sent her a trifle of jewellery farncombe glancing at the writing-table she seems to have received a lot of jewellery roper rustling across to the table by jove doesn't she ah there's my brooch i didn't consider i'd a right to offer anything but flowers on so slight an acquaintance exactly but i'm an old friend you know turning to farncombe perhaps by her next birthday farncombe smiling i hope so roper approaching farncombe and taking him by the lapel of his coat 
what I want to say to you is doing anything tonight? I... I shall be at the theatre. Oh, we shall all be at the theatre to shout many happy returns. Later, I mean. Nothing that I can't get out of. Good. Look here. Smythe is giving her a bit of supper in the foyer after the show. A dance on the stage to follow. About five and twenty people. Will you come? If Mr. Smythe is kind enough to ask me. He does ask you through me. He's left all the arrangements to me and Maury Cooling. Carter never did anything in his life. I egged him on to this. I've been sweating at it since eleven o'clock this morning. Haven't been near the city, not near it. Well? Barncombe, his eyes glowing. I shall be delighted. Splendid. Been trying to get on to you all day. I've called twice at your club and at St. James' place. Sorry you've had so much trouble. Roper dropping on to the settee in front of the writing-table and wiping his brow. There'll be the Baron, Sam de Castro, Bertie Fulkerson, Stu Hedidge, Jerry Grimwood, Dwarf Kennedy, Colonel and Mrs. Stidolph, Dolly Enzo that was, and ourselves besides Cooling and Vincent Bland, and the pick of the company. Catani does the food and drink. I don't believe I've forgotten a single thing. With a change of tone, pointing to the armchair in the middle of the room. Sit down a minute. Barncombe sits and Roper edges nearer to him. Are you going to wait to see Lily this afternoon? I... I should like to. Because if Jay should happen to drop in while you're here... Captain Jay's? Nico Jay's. Or if you knock up against him tonight at the theatre, mum, about this? About the supper? Roper nodding. Hmm. We don't want Nico Jay's. We simply don't want him. And if he heard that you and some of the boys are coming, he might wonder why he isn't included. He strikes me as being rather a surly, ill-conditioned person. A regular loafer. He appears to live at Catani's. I never go there without meeting him. Exactly. Catani's are a top-back bedroom in German Street, and hanging about the Pandora, that's Nico Jay's life. He's an old friend of Mrs. Upjohn's and Miss Paradell's too, isn't he? Roper evasively. Known him some time. That's it. Lily's so faithful to her old friends. Barncombe smiling. You oughtn't to complain of that. Oh, but I'm a real friend. I've always been a patron of the musical drama. It's my fad. And I've kept an eye on Lily from the moment she sprang into prominence. Mind the paint, mind the paint. Looks after her like a father. Uncle Lal, she calls me. Reassuringly. I'm a married man, you know. Barncombe nods. But the wife has plenty to occupy her with the kids, and she leaves the drama to me. She prefers Bexhill. Leaning forward and speaking with great earnestness. Farncombe, what a charming creature. Mrs. Roper? No, 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 Lily. Oh, and so's my missus, for that matter, when she chooses. But Lily Upjohn. Beautiful. Perfectly beautiful. Yes, and as good as she's beautiful, you take it from me. With a wave of the hand. Well, if you see Jay's, you won't... Not a word. Roper rising and walking away to the left. I've warned the others. Returning to Farncombe, who has also risen. By the by, if Lily should mention the supper in the course of the conversation, remember, she's not in the conspiracy. 
conspiracy. To shunt Nico. We're letting her think there are to be no outsiders. Barncombe becoming slightly puzzled by Roper's manner. Why, would she very much like Captain Jays to be asked? Oh, Roper rather impatiently. Haven't I told you once you're a friend of Lil's? Looking towards the door. Is this Ma? Mrs. Upjohn enters. Hello, Ma. Mrs. Upjohn, a podgy little gaily dressed woman of five and fifty, with a stupid, good-humoured face. Hello, Uncle. Lord Farncombe. Mrs. Upjohn advancing and shaking hands with Farncombe. Glad to see you here again. You have been before, haven't you? Last week. Of course. You came with Mr. Bertie Fulkerson. But somebody or other's always popping in. Pleasantly. Lil sees too many, I say. It's tiring for her. Won't you set? Lord Farncombe's brought Lily some flowers, Ma. To Farncombe. Where are they? Farncombe, who, after waiting for Mrs. Upjohn to settle herself upon the settee in front of the writing table, sits in the chair at the end of the settee, pointing to a large basket of flowers. On the piano. Mrs. Upjohn barely glancing at the flowers. How kind of him. Such a waste of money, too. They do go off so quick. Roper reading the cards attached to the various floral gifts. Where is Lil? She's setting to a rising young artist in Fitzroy Street. Claude Morgan. She won't be home till past five. So tiring for her. Never heard of Morgan. No, nor anybody else. That's what I tell her. Why waste your time giving sentence to a rising young artist when the big man'd go down on their hands and knees to do you? But that's Lil all over. She's the best-natured girl in the world. And so she gets imposed on all round. Farncombe gallantly. I prophesy that Mr. Morgan's picture of Miss Paradell won't have dried before he's quite famous. Mrs. Upjohn turning a pair of dull eyes full upon him. How do you mean? Farncombe disconcerted. Uh, I mean... Why won't it have dried? I mean he will have become celebrated before it has dried. His pictures never do dry, you mean? No, no, ma. However, it doesn't matter. He isn't even going to put her name to it. Why not? You may well ask. He's bent on calling it the Mind the Paint Girl. What's wrong with that? Everybody will recognize who that is. Mrs. Upjohn, unconvinced. Her name's printed on all her photos. The first time I had the pleasure of seeing your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Upjohn, a man next to me said, Here comes the Mind the Paint Girl. Mrs. Upjohn, cheering up. Oh, well. Perhaps young Morgan knows his own business best. Let's hope so, at any rate. Roper by the tea-table, beckoning to Farncombe. Farncombe? Farncombe to Roper. Eh? To Mrs. Upjohn, rising. Excuse me. Farncombe joins Roper, whereupon Mrs. Upjohn goes to the writing-table, and seating herself there, examines the jewellery delightedly. Roper to Farncombe in a whisper. Do me a favour. Certainly. Roper, looking at his watch. 
"'It's only half-past four. Take a turn round the square. I've some business to talk over with the old lady.' Farncombe nodding to Roper, and then coming forward and addressing Mrs. Upjohn. "'I, um, I think I'll go for a little walk, and come back later on, if I may.' Mrs. Upjohn contentedly. "'Oh, just as you like.' Farncombe moving towards the door. "'In about a quarter of an hour.' if we don't see you again i'll tell lil you've been here farncombe at the door oh but you will you will see me again well please yourself and you please your dearest friend as lil's dad used to say thank you thank you very much he disappears closing the door after him mrs upjohn to roper looking up i believe you gave that young man the end to go uncle i did told him i wanted to talk business with you business resuming her inspection of the trinkets this is a handsome thing mr grimwood centre roper his hands in his trouser pockets contemplating mrs upjohn desperately upon my soul ma you're a champion now what have i done well you might spread yourself a little over young farncombe spread myself should i lord farncombe i treat em all alike so does lil he's not the first title we've had here not by a dozen no but damn it all i beg your pardon mrs upjohn beaming so you owe swearing like a trooper this chap's in love with her oh they're all in love with her or have been one time or another yes but they're not all farncombes and they're not all marrying men i'm prepared to bet my boots that if lil and young farncombe could be thrown together sitting on the settee in front of the writing-table as mrs upjohn rises and comes forward here do talk it over mrs upjohn placidly where's the use of talking it over it's wasting one's breath moving to the settee by the piano my lil doesn't want to marry anyhow not yet a while she's happy and contented as she is sitting and smoothing out her skirt when she does i suppose it'll be the captain roper between his teeth the captain ma the day lil marries nico jays you and she'll see the last of me oh don't say that uncle i do say it the disappointment would be more than i could stand selfish designing beggar now no low abuse a fellow who gets on the soft side of lil before she's out of her teens before she's made any position to speak of and when she has made a position and he's practically on his uppers sticks to her like a limpet she sticks to him too it meant a deal to lil in her humble days recollect receiving attentions from a gentleman in the army she doesn't forget that roper jumping up and walking about it's cruel that's what it is it's cruel here's gwenny harker and Mady travail both married to peer's sons and eva shafto to a baronet all of em pandora girls and lil she's left high and dry engaged to a nobody it's cruel she's not actually engaged ho ho 
The idea was, when he shirked going to India and gave up soldiering, so as to be nearer, that he should get something to do in London. Then they were to be engaged. Roper, sarcastically. Oh, to be just, I admit he's in no hurry. He's been a whole year looking for something to do in London, looking for it at Catani's and at the Pandora bars. He has to be on the spot at night, to bring Lil home after her work. Exactly. And when a decent, eligible young chap comes along and means business, he's choked off by finding Nico Jays in possession. Stopping before Mrs. Upjohn. But I say... What? Farncombe hasn't tumbled to it yet. Mrs. Upjohn indifferently. Hasn't he? Bertie Fulkerson's held his tongue about it. So have the other boys who are friends of Farncombe's. They see he's hard hit. Oh, they're good boys. They're good, loyal boys. There's not one of em who wouldn't throw up his hat if Nico got the chuck. Ma. Mrs. Upjohn startled. Hey! This little spree tonight at the theatre. Lil thinks it's merely among the members of the company. Ain't it? Roper sitting beside her. You keep quiet now. No, it isn't. Ooh. The boys and Farncombe. Mrs. Upjohn disturbed. Gracious! There'll be an awful fuss with the captain tomorrow. Roper snapping his fingers. <sharp inhale> Mrs. Upjohn rising and walking away to the right. He's so horribly jealous. When Lil tells him who was at the party, there'll be a frightful kick-up. Roper falling into despondency. Oh, I dare say I'm a fool for my pains, Ma. Nothing'll come of it. Rising and pacing the room again. Farncombe's as shy as a schoolgirl. He'll be on a desert island with a pretty woman for a month without squeezing her hand. Mrs. Upjohn in an altered tone. Uncle. Hello. Mrs. Upjohn thoughtfully. I shouldn't raise any objection, bear in mind, if Lil could be waned away from the captain and took a fancy to young Farncombe. Objection? Mrs. Upjohn sitting on the settee in front of the writing table. All said and done. To be Lady F with no need to work if you're not disposed to is better than being Mrs. Captain J's and having to linger on the stage, perhaps till you drop to help keep the pot a-boiling. Opening her eyes widely. Lady F. Roper coming to her. And Countess of Goldming when his father dies. I suppose there'd be any amount of unpleasantness with the family. Roper disdainfully. The family. There's generally a rumpus in such cases. Why, Ma, these tip-top families ought to be jolly grateful that we're mixing the breed for them a bit. Look at the two lads who've married Gwenny Harker and Mady Travail, Kinterton and Glenroy, and Faucus, Sir George Faucus, Eva Shafto's husband. They haven't a chin or a forehead between them, and their chests are as narrow as a ten-inch plank. Quite true. Farncombe himself, he's inclined to be weedy. I maintain it's a grand thing for our English knobs that their slips of sons have taken to marrying young women of the stamps of Mady Travail and Gwenny Harker, or Lil. Keen-witted young women, full of the joy of life, with strong frames, beautiful hair and fine eyes, and healthy pink gums and big white teeth. Sneer at the Pandora girls. Great Scott, it's my belief that the Pandora girls will be the salvation of the aristocracy in this country in the long run. 
captain nicholas jays lounges in he is a man of about five-and-thirty already slightly gray-haired who has gone to seed roper sits in the chair in the middle of the room rather guiltily and mrs upjohn puts on a propitiatory grin jays nodding to mrs upjohn and roper as he closes the door afternoon mrs upjohn how are you roper ah oh, captain hello nico jays advancing lily not in no she's in fitzroy street setting to morgan jays frowning why didn't she ask me to go with her dunno i'm sure she's took miss patch <sighs> oh looking round flowers heaps of em ain't there roper jerking his head towards the writing-table yes and some nice presents over here she's beat a record this year lil as out and out jays goes to the writing-table and roper and mrs upjohn rise and wander away the former to the conservatory the latter to the settee by the piano jays scowling at the presents very nice picking up a case of jewelry very nice throwing the case down angrily confound em what the devil do they take her for roper at the entrance to the conservatory i may remark that one of those gifts is from me jays oh i'm not alluding to you much obliged jays coming forward and addressing mrs upjohn i've called in to ask lily whether she'll come out to supper with me tonight to catani's to celebrate her birthday luigi's decorating a table for me specially mr and mrs linthorne'll come and jack weathered to roper are you free roper mrs upjohn sits uneasily on the settee by the piano and roper finds some object to interest him near the tea-table i suppose it's no good asking you mrs upjohn N no thank you captain and i i'm afraid afraid i'm afraid lil can't manage it either why not i i'm surprised she didn't mention it to you herself when you brought her home last night mention what they're giving her a supper tonight at the theatre the theatre roper advancing yes carlton's standing a little spread in the foyer in honour of the occasion sitting at the tea-table quite right too she's his best asset and chance it when was it fixed up late last night the fact is lily and i had a slight tiff coming home last night sitting on the settee in front of the writing-table ha huh, i suppose she kept it from me to pay me out sharply who's invited um only the principal members of the company i understand mrs upjohn moistening her lips with her tongue yes only the members of the company lil says with maury cooling and vincent bland thrown in jays looking at roper you seem to know a lot about it roper i was behind when maury was going round to the dressing-rooms jays to roper suspiciously are you asked eh are you asked roper with an attempt at airiness oh yes they've dragged me into it since when have you been a member of the company no but dash it i've done business for carleton in the city for twenty years or more that doesn't make you one and i'm an old friend of lil's not older than i violently why the blazes doesn't smith invite me roper extending his arms 
"'My dear Nico, I'm not giving the party. Really, you do jump down a man's throat.' "'Sorry, sorry, sorry,' leaning back and thrusting his hands into his pocket. "'Well, I'll put Jack and the Linthorns off. They don't want to sup with me. I shouldn't amuse them. gazing at the carpet. "'Her birthday, though. It'll be the first time I shall have been out of that for how many years?' Six years, I... Raising his head, he detects Mrs. Upjohn and Roper eyeing each other uncomfortably. Anything the matter? The matter? G's taking his hands from his pockets and sitting upright. Any game on? Game? At my expense? I don't know what you're driving at, Captain. G's harshly. How long's Lily sitting this afternoon? Till five. G's looking at his watch. What's Morgan's number in Fitzroy Street? Sixty. G's rising. I'll fetch her. As he makes a movement towards the door, it is thrown open and Lily Paradell enters with a rush, an entrancing vision of youth, grace, and beauty. She is followed by Jimmy Birch, a petite, bright-eyed girl in an extremely chic costume, Lily tearing off her gloves as she enters. Phew! I'm dead. Giving her hand to G's carelessly. Ah, oh, Nico. To Mrs. Upjohn. I couldn't stand the heat in the studio any longer, Mother. Finding Roper beside her, she offers her cheek to him, and he kisses it. Mon oncle. Jimmy closing the door. That young man Morgan ought to paint the infernal regions. Lily taking her scarf from her shoulder. He might finish with the angels first, though. To G softly, as Roper turns to shake hands with Jimmy. You in a better temper today? G's in her ear. You drove me wild last night. Lily making a face at him. Served you right. Passing him. For God's sake, let me lie down. She throws herself upon the settee in front of the writing table, and G's moves away as Mrs. Upjohn and Roper go to her. Don't come near me. Give me my fan. Jimmy, where's my fan? Oh, I've left it in Fitzroy Street. Beast! Mrs. Upjohn hurrying to the writing table. There's one here, among your presents. Lily unpinning her hat. Uncle Lel, what an adorable ring that is you've sent me. Roper taking the fan from Mrs. Upjohn. Ring? A brooch! Somebody sent me a ring. Mrs. Upjohn sitting in the chair at the end of the settee by the writing table. There's three rings. Of course. One of them's from Nico. To G's. Did you get my sweet telegram, Nico? G's, who has greeted Jimmy and is now seated at the chair on the extreme left, sulkily. I had your telegram, but it's a pendant I sent you. Jimmy, sitting upon the settee by the piano and pulling off her gloves. <laughs> you shut up, Jimmy. Snatching the fan from Roper. How on earth am I to remember? Fanning herself. Who's given me this pretty thing? Mr. Monty Levine. Bless him. He's a dear little man, though he does bite his nails. Gladys appears with Vincent Bland, who saunters in after her. Seeing Lily, Gladys advances to her. Hello, Vincent. Bland, a thin, delicate-looking man of eight-and-thirty, not over-smartly dressed, wearing an eyeglass, nodding to Lily casually. 
You needn't have cut me almost on your doorstep. To Jimmy and Jeeves. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, Nico. Gladys viewing Lily with an elevation of the brows. Oh, are you home? Lily returning Gladys's stare. Apparently. I'll whistle up to Maud. Don't, if it's too severe a strain on you. Mrs. Upjohn to Gladys as the girl moves to the door. Gladys, we'll have tea. Gladys at the door. You can't till it's ready. Lily calmly. Cheek. Gladys retires. Bland, who has strolled across to Lily indolently. Why do you retain the services of that tousle-headed hussy? Lily with conviction. Oh, she's a little under the weather, but she's a perfect servant. Bland to Mrs. Upjohn. Ma, you look blooming. Wish I could return the compliment, Mr. Bland. Bland to Roper, who is wearing a waistcoat of rather a pronounced pattern. Congratulations on your waistcoat, Lal. Roper joining Jimmy, annoyed. Now no personalities. Lily giving Bland her hand. Vincent, yours is one of the loveliest presents I've had today. Remorciement. How's that for a French accent? Bland dropping his eyeglass. You cat. Why? You know I've given you nothing. Not even a penny nosegay. <laughs> Lily raising herself on her elbow. On my honor. Vincent, dear, I swear I thought. The funds are too low. Replacing his eyeglass. I did go so far as to price a bangle at Selby's. But that was before a certain event yesterday. What horses did you back, Vincent? I won a fiver through Jerry Grimwood. Roper to Bland. You are a patient ass. Why don't you leave betting alone? Bland to Roper, flaring up. Why don't you leave your city muck alone? Lily putting her feet to the floor imperiously. That'll do. Be quiet, you two. I won't have any wrangling in my house. Run away and play, all of you. I want to speak to Vincent for a minute privately. With a gesture. Uncle Lel, Jimmy, Nico. To Mrs. Upjohn. Scoot, mother. Oh, dear. What a child. Roper, Jimmy, G's, and Mrs. Upjohn move away, and Lily beckons to Bland. Finn. Bland close to her with a wry face. Mercy. You've broken your word to me, then. Through her teeth. Those damned horses. Cooling had a tip from the stable. Cooling? Maury Cooling has no children, only a fat wife. You've a darling little wife and three kitties. How much did you drop yesterday? Shan't say. Lily rising and touching his arm. Oh, Vincent. She looks round to assure herself that she is unobserved. Mrs. Upjohn and Roper are seated at the tea-table with their heads together, talking. Jimmy is at the piano, fingering out a piece of music. Jeeves is half-hidden in the armchair, facing the settee at the back. Lily tiptoes to the writing-table and seats herself there as Gladys reappears, showing in the Baron von Rittemeyer. Von Rittemeyer, a tall, fair young man of three-and-thirty, speaking in thick, guttural tones, advancing to Lily. Ah, goddess, 
Gladys withdraws. Many Appy returns the day. Hush! I'm busy for a moment, Baron. Von Ritzenmeyer to Lily, shaking hands with Bland. A thousand pardons. Talk to Mother and Jimmy. With pleasure. Going to Mrs. Upjohn and Roper and shaking hands with them. How are you, my dear Ma? How are you, Jimmy? Waving a hand to Roper and Jeeves. My dear Roper. My dear Nicholas. Jimmy to Van Rittenmeyer, mimicking him. Roper, Nicholas. Why don't they provide you with throat lozenges at the embassy, Baron? Van Rittenmeyer laughs. Lily has quickly opened the drawer in the writing table and produced a checkbook. After another glance over her shoulder, she sweeps the presents aside and writes. Then she replaces the checkbook, rises and returns to Bland. Again there is a loud guffaw from von Rittemeyer in response to some sally of Jimmy's. Lily to Bland, folding the check and slipping it into his hand. Promise. Promise you won't make another bet. Bland and folding the check. Your check? Put it in your pocket. A blank one? Don't fill it in for more than you can help. I'm not over flush. He deliberately tears the check into four pieces, and looking at her steadily, puts them into his waistcoat pocket. Bland as he does so. I'll keep those, Lil, for as long as I keep anything. You fool, Vincent. My dear, as if. Such ridiculous pride. Stamping her foot. Lord, what I owe to you. Gladys enters with Sam de Castro. Gladys is carrying a lace-edged tablecloth, which, assisted by Mrs. Upjohn, she proceeds to lay upon the tea-table. Bland moving away to join the others. To de Castro. Ah, Sam. De Castro, a stout, coarse, but genial-looking gentleman of forty, of marked Jewish appearance, speaking with a lisp shaking hands with lily how are you today lil many happy returns once more thanks dear old boy sitting on the settee in front of the writing table did i send you a wire this morning not you not a sixth penorth i ought to have done so to acknowledge your what was it a ring diamonds and sapphires ah yes beautiful it is rather a nice ring lowering his voice but i say what mind you don't go and tell gap on any account lily with a great assumption of ignorance raising her eyebrows gabs gabrielle miss cato why shouldn't i nonsense you know very well urgently you won't will you Lily shrugging her shoulders. I won't, if I remember not to. The Castro alarmed. Ah, now! Don't be stupid! What's the good of making mischief? Lily shows him the tip of her tongue. Oh, Lil! Gladys goes out. Lil! Von Rittenmeyer, leaving the group at the back and putting an arm round De Castro's shoulder. My dear friend Zom! How are you, Baron? Going to Mrs. Upjohn. Afternoon, Ma. Nodding to Jimmy and Roper. Afternoon, everybody. Shaking hands with Jeeves, who has risen and now joins the group. 
How are you, Nico? Lily giving her hand to Van Rittenmeyer. Excuse me for cutting you short when you came in. Thanks for your splendid present. I did send you a wire, didn't I? Van Rittenmeyer kissing her hand and bowing over it. I shall preserve it with a few auto souvenirs till the end of my life. Lily withdrawing her hand and blowing the compliment away. Phew! La 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 la! Von Rittenmeyer in an altered tone after a cautious look round. Goddess? Eh? Von Rittenmeyer anxiously. My drifting little offering. I entreat you not to mention it to Enid. <laughs> oh, another of you. Dear charming Miss Mungrief. Baron, I wish you boys wouldn't make me presents and then ask me to keep them a secret from the other girls. And I, I wish it were not necessary. But, goddess, you are also a young lady of the world. You know what women are. Huh. I know what you men are. Maud, a buxom young woman with a good-tempered face, dressed as a lady's maid, enters quickly, tying her apron, and runs to Lily. Jeeves comes to the further side of the writing table, and von Rittenmeyer now joins him there. Jimmy Birch also comes forward, accompanied by De Castro. Maud to Lily. Here, give me your things. Lily tosses her hat, scarf, and gloves to Maud. I was in my room having a lie down. Is my hair untidy? I've never seen it anything else. <laughs> Maud to Jimmy and De Castro. Afternoon, Miss Jimmy. Afternoon, Mr. Castro. To Lily. Now, don't let them all tie you to death. There's a pet. Oh, clear out as Maud is departing. Hi. Rising and kicking off her shoes and sending them in Maud's direction. Fetch me a pair of slippers. Maud picking up the shoes and chuckling. <laughs> when Maud reaches the door, which she has left open, Gladys appears with the tea tray and with Farncombe at her heels. Gladys to Maud. Oh, you're doing something, are you? Yes, setting you an example, my girl. Encountering Farncombe. Beg pardon? Maud withdraws, closing the door, and Farncombe stands looking at Lily, who is talking to Jimmy. Gladys carries the tray to the tea table. Lily, becoming aware of Farncombe's presence and nodding to him. How'd you do? Farncombe moving a step or two towards her. I... I've been here before this afternoon. I venture to bring you some flowers. Lily going to him and shaking hands with him formally. Nobody told me. Awfully kind of you. Where have you put them? Farncombe, lifting his basket of flowers from off the piano and showing it to her. Here. Pretty. Pulling out a carnation. Stick it up there again. He replaces the basket. You're Lord Farncombe, aren't you? Yes. Lily with a glance at the others. Know anybody here? Farncombe looking round the room. Nearly everybody, I fancy. He advances to von Rittenmeyer, who comes to meet him. Lily sits upon the settee by the piano and fastens the carnation in her dress. Gladys goes out. Carl! My dear Eddie! Farncombe bowing to De Castro, who is now seated beside Jimmy on the settee in front of the writing table. How are you, Mr. De Castro? To Jeeves, who is standing by the chair at the writing table, gnawing his mustache and watching Lily and Farncombe sourly. 
how are you captain jays turning to bland how are you mr bland to lily i've been talking to mrs upjohn and mr roper already lily looking across to jimmy miss birch lord farncombe jimmy nodding to farncombe how do you do farncombe going to jimmy and shaking hands with her i i needn't say that i am one of miss birch's warmest most profound jimmy smiling at him that's all right don't you bother about that maud returns carrying a pair of silken slippers von rittenmeyer who has come to lily makes a dart at the slippers and takes them from maud ah permit me now baron slapping his arm <laughs> he pushes maud out of the room she resisting laughingly and closes the door von rittenmeyer holding the slippers aloft gentlemen homage to beauty follow me zom vincent robert nigo eddie the men put themselves behind him in single file in the order in which he calls them with the exception of jees who deliberately sits at the writing-table and farncombe who is embarrassed jimmy claps her hands and mrs upjohn who is pouring out tea laughs herself into a fit of coughing da da ra ra da da boom boom baron you great baby quick marge roper calling to farncombe come along farncombe jimmy giving farncombe a shove go on farncombe takes his place behind roper and headed by von rittenmeyer the men march around the room von rittenmeyer waving the slippers in the air and singing Weib was is in aller Welt, der an Schönheit gleichgestellt, Reizumflossen Wunderhölt, Perl der Schopfung Herzengold, Tags Gedanken Traum der Nacht, Schweben undig Suse sagt. Von Rittenmeyer halts before Lily and kneels to her she extends her left foot and he kisses her instep and puts her foot into her slipper she rewards him by lightly boxing his ears he makes way for de castro handing him the other slipper and de castro performs the same ceremony with lily's right foot she upsets de castro's balance by a little kick von rittemeyer seating himself beside jimmy singing Venus de castro gathers himself up and sits in the chair at the end of the settee in front of the writing-table bland and roper having knelt and kissed lily's foot also sit the former in the chair in the middle of the room the latter in the chair on the extreme left finally farncombe finds himself before lily he looks at her hesitatingly and she returns his look with awakened interest and withdraws her foot lily shaking her head no no don't you be silly like the others mrs upjohn loudly tea bland von rittenmeyer and de castro jump up and go to the tea-table where farncombe joins them gladys enters carrying a stand on which are a plate of bread and butter a dish of cake etc roper takes the stand from her and the girl retires farncombe brings lily a cup of tea the castro and bland follow him the one with a milk jug the other with a sugar basin von rittenmeyer carries a cup of tea to jimmy 
and then de castro and bland having waited upon lily go to jimmy with the milk and sugar roper hands the bread and butter and cake to lily then to jimmy and in the end roper bland de castro and von rittemeyer assemble at the tea-table and receive their cups of tea from mrs upjohn roper relieving gladys of the stand give it to me i want a little exercise lily taking her cup of tea from pinecone thanks de castro helping lily to milk milk ho sugar <laughs> i'm putting on weight as it is roper offering the bread and butter etc facetiously ices sweets or chocolate full piano score nothing to eat uncle i dine at six mrs upjohn calling to jeeves from the tea-table captain you going to have any tea jeeves moodily examining the presents on the writing-table no thank you mrs upjohn bland to jimmy after she has been helped to milk sugar two lumps roper pushing bland and de castro aside imitating a female voice ices sweets or chocolate full piano score jimmy cutting a slice of cake well the world would be a much happier place to live in if lloyd george taxed your jokes von rittenmeyer bland and de castro returning to the tea-table lily <laughs> 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 to farncombe who remains standing near her seen our show at the pandora farncombe gazing at her twenty-three times not really this week and last every night lily running her eye over him you and the guards by any chance farncombe nodding yes lily smiling ah uh, you'll never do a braver deed than seeing our show twenty-three times jimmy as roper leaves her to go to the table her mouth full of cake boys <coughs> Oh, wait a minute. I've swallowed some of the Baron's German. Gulping. <clears throat> Boys, seriously, no rot. Raising her teacup. Jolly good health to Lily. There is a cry of approbation from Bland, von Rittemeyer, de Castro, and Roper. Farncombe fetches himself a cup of tea from the tea table. She's a white woman, Lily is. The staunchest, truest pal where she takes a liking. Mrs. Upjohn pressing forward through the men and going to Lily. And the best daughter breathing. Embracing Lily and then turning to the others. Do you notice the new dress I'm wearing this afternoon? Don't, mother, don't. Fifteen guineas it cost her. Sitting in the chair on the extreme left proudly. Madame Godolphin made it and an act to go with it on sweet. Lily to Mrs. Upjohn. Hush! Well? Sipping her tea as if drinking a toast. In a cup of tea. Bland, de Castro, and Roper sipping their tea. In, In a, a cup, cup of, tea. of tea. Von Rittemeyer drinking. In a cup of tea. Jimmy to Von Rittemeyer mockingly. <laughs> Gobo dee. Lily waving her hand. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, dear boys, from the bottom of my heart. Jimmy to the men. By Jove, she saved me once from going home to a cheap lodging and taking a dose of rat-killer. Von Rittemeyer behind Roper and de Castro, peeping over their shoulders. A biddy, a great biddy. 
i'll attend to you presently baron lily to jimmy i remember a wretched little shrimp you looked that day jimmy to everybody it was my first morning at the pandora they'd had me up from harrogate in a hurry to take granny harker's place i'd been playing her part in the number two company in the country and she'd left them in a hole to get married to a stupid lord to farncombe finding him standing near her sorry i was to have only one rehearsal clenching her fist and oh didn't they treat me abominably miss Ansa was late and we were all hanging about on the stage waiting for her i've never felt so cold in my life or so lonely not a word of welcome not a nod from a single soul simply a blank stare occasionally from a haughty beauty with a curled lip and at last when i was on the point of howling i became conscious that somebody was watching me a tall pretty thing in a lavender frock the castro sitting in the chair in the middle of the room lil i caught her eye and she came straight over to me and sat down beside me shaky she said a corpse i said and she quietly laid hold of my hand and held it till dolly answer condescended to stroll in and when i got up i asked her who she was and she told me oh my god i said i'll never forget your kindness why of course you're the mind the paint girl roper de castro and von rittemeyer singing Bland seats himself at the piano and thumps out the air of the refrain of Mind the Paint. The three men, mouthing the time silently, wave their arms, and Lily's head and body move from side to side. Uh, is there anything more ancient than a four-year-old comic song? Playing a few bars of the melody of the song shade of the nineveh and all the buried cities roper von rittemeyer and de castro to lily coaxingly lily shaking her head oh boys it's gone pressing temples i couldn't bland plays the introductory symphony and then pauses then she sings he accompanying her in a moment or two the song comes back to her readily and she gives it with great witchery and allurement g starts up and goes to the window in the wall on the right side and looks out lily singing i've a very charming dwelling you know where without the telling decorated in a style that's rather quaint smart and quaint when you pay my house a visit you may scrutinize or quiz it but you mustn't touch the paint brand new paint mind the paint mind the paint no matter whether maple's bills are settled or they ain't once you smear it or you scratch it it's impossible to match it so take care please of the paint of the paint rising and coming to the middle of the room lily repeats the refrain dancing to it gracefully Jimmy also rises, and she, Roper, von Rittemeyer, and de Castro join in the chorus and the dance, the three men very extravagantly. Farncombe looks on, enraptured, while Mrs. Upjohn beats time with her hands. 
i'm possessed of all the graces oh a perfect dream my face is it may owe to art a trifle or it mayn't hm it mayn't and i'll cry out for assistance should you fail to keep your distance goodness gracious mind the paint mind the paint mind the paint mind the paint a girl is not a sinner just because she's not a saint but my heart shall hold you dearer you may come a little nearer if you'll only mind the paint mind the paint the refrain is repeated as before mrs upjohn rising and taking a share in it then lily drops on the settee before the writing-table laughing and holding up her hands in protest no more boys roper von rittemeyer and de castro gather round her applauding her and urging her to continue no 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 more i've had such a stiff day mrs upjohn with sudden energy to everybody out you go all of you out you go jimmy to the men come on let's mizzle shaking hands with farncombe cruel of us to tire her so mrs upjohn tapping von rittemeyer on the shoulder now then baron von rittemeyer shaking hands with lily i'm coming jimmy taking von rittemeyer to the door welcome mrs upjohn pulling roper away from lily now uncle roper adjusting his coat mind the paint ma good-bye lil lily as she shakes hands with de castro calling to jimmy good-bye jimmy and von rittemeyer disappear now mr de castro moving with roper towards the door however do you think she's going to get through her work to-night de castro pausing to comb his moustache quite right ma thoughtlessly and a thupper and a damp afterwards roper turning upon him quickly Shh, damn fool de castro clapping his hands to his mouth oh they glance at jeez who hearing de castro's remark has left the window and come forward a step or two uh, good-bye nico uh, good-bye good-bye bland talking to lily neither of them having heard de castro slip that jingle an echo of old times eh lily looking up at him yes but not better times than these times finn bland sadly holding her hand ah lil there are so many tunes in life left for you my dear roper at the door with mrs upjohn and de castro to bland come along vincent bland joins the group at the door as farncombe approaches lily farncombe shaking hands with her thank you with fervor glorious lily reproachfully for shame i mean it Shh. lightly see you again some day perhaps ah uh, yes roper calling to farncombe coming our way farncombe roper bland and de castro depart farncombe bows to lily and makes for the door farncombe to jeez good-bye captain jays jeez who has wandered to the entrance of the conservatory where he is now standing with his back to the room half turning good-bye farncombe shaking hands with mrs upjohn delightful enjoyed myself amazingly mrs upjohn graciously 
Oh, we're always glad when a few folks pop in. He wrings her hand. If they don't overstay their welcome. Naturally. Hurriedly. Goodbye. He vanishes. Mrs. Upjohn remaining at the door. Captain. G's advancing. I just want half a dozen words with Lily, Mrs. Upjohn. Lily to Mrs. Upjohn. Tell Maud to put out my old green frock, mother. I'll be up in a minute or two. Mrs. Upjohn to G's. Now you won't keep our longer, will you? G's grimly. No, no, I know she won't be in bed till four o'clock tomorrow morning at the earliest. Mrs. Upjohn goes out, closing the door, and G's comes to Lily. So, Smith is giving you a grand feed tonight at the theatre, Lil? Lily arranging the pillows on the settee. In the foyer. And a dance, it appears. Lily yawning. Ugh. Lying upon the settee at full length. Who told you, Grumpy? Roper, and your mother told me about the supper. You didn't. Ha ha. You were in such a vile mood last night, coming home. Who will there be to dance with tonight? The men of the company. That doesn't sound very inspiring. Rather school treaty, isn't it? Nobody from outside? No, it's to be only the men in the theatre and the principal ladies. Roper's going. Uncle Lel? Oh well, he's hardly from outside. And to Castro. Sam? I'm sure of it from something I heard him say just now. Sam used to finance Carlton. I suppose they reckon him one of us. G's sitting in the chair in the middle of the room. Smith might have extended the compliment to me, Lil. He knows how I stand towards you. Awfully sorry. I can't help it. G's twining his fingers together. You see, if Roper and DeCastro are asked, there may be others. Lily changing her position. Oh, la, 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 la. G's with a set jaw. Some of the more juvenile boys, perhaps. Examining his nails. Lil. What? When did you make the acquaintance of the young sprig of the nobility who's been here this afternoon? Lord Farncombe. Bertie brought him and introduced him one day last week. Ha! He's at your feet now. Fuh. Oh, you may fuh. He's in front every blessed night. There he sits. Roby, three stalls from the end, prompt side. There are a few good-looking girls at the Pandora, besides your humble servant. Rubbish! His glass follows you all over the stage. I watched him talking to you in this room. Lily raising herself. Did you indeed? Jeez, beating his clenched hands upon the arms of the chair. God in heaven, first it's one, then it's another chasing you. Lily putting her feet to the ground. Oh, you're maddening, Nico. You are. You're maddening. Last night it was Stewie Henny she chose to be jealous of, simply because you'd heard him sounding my praises at Catani's. You almost broke the window of the car, you went on so. I confess I object to Hennyage, or any man, raving about you at the top of his voice in a public place. Sakes alive! Why shouldn't Stewie rave about me in a public place if he feels like it? I belong to the public. He might rave about a girl who's a jolly sight less deserving of being raved about, as a girl and an artist, than I am. Well, will this miss Hennyage? Yes, 
exit stewie and enter somebody else for you to fuss and fume about this afternoon it's lord farncombe and to-morrow it'll be a fresh person altogether one thing to hear you but i don't know how to take care of myself and of any poor boy who loses his head over me rising and walking away you're growing worse and worse with your jealousy nico stop it i'm surprised at you after all these years it's beginning to fret me and that's bad for my spirits and bad for me in business at the tea-table grabbing a piece of bread and butter and biting at it and now you're making me spoil my dinner relenting and that's not good for me either you brute Gee's his hands hanging loosely between his knees sighing heavily oh lily lily yes oh lily lily why why don't you put me out of my misery lily munching poison you marry me lily behind his chair marry you taking his handkerchief from his breast pocket and wiping her fingers upon it sarcastically have you come to tell me you've got some work to do at last break it gently nico the shock might be too great for me oh i'd find a billet soon enough lil if only i'd an incentive to hunt for it incentive you had an incentive twelve months ago when i was willing to engage myself to you absolutely if you could obtain a good secretaryship or something of the sort i have no fancy for a beggarly secretaryship no all you've a fancy for seemingly is for living on your unfortunate people throwing him his handkerchief and leaving him how a man of your age can rest satisfied with being a burden to others passes my dull comprehension i i have been a bit slack i own i have been a bit leisurely but lily inspecting some of the flowers about the room nico that pendant or whatever it is you've given me i don't want to hurt you but i won't accept it you take it away with you do you hear Gee's not heeding her weakly well i'm in earnest you remove it off my premises well she returns to him my eldest brother robert looking up at her bob she nods inquiringly bob's at me to go out to rhodesia to manage a group of stock farms he's interested in near bulawayo oh why don't you go Gee's forlornly rhodesia bulawayo looking up at her again with a dismal smile come with me don't be absurd Gee's rising and putting his hands upon her shoulders no you wouldn't care a straw not a brass farthing if i did go would yer lily softening again stuff i should miss you horribly toying with a button of his waistcoat who'd bring me home from the theatre at night then and from rehearsals who ah who his grip tightening on her who lily wincing you'll bruise my skin if you're not careful Gee's taking her hand and crumpling it in his well it might be that you'd miss me for a while the old dog that you're accustomed to find lying on your doormat pressing her hand to his lips but you don't love me lil not even as much as you did a year ago 
you don't love me lily with a faint shrug of her shoulders perhaps i don't in the way you mean wistfully perhaps it's not in me really to love anybody in a marrying way meeting his eyes still as you say as i say lily pursing her mouth at him winningly i'm accustomed to you nico he draws her to him but with a laugh she checks him by offering him her head to kiss there putting the point of her finger playfully on the crown of her head you may there as he kisses her now i must run upstairs or mother'll whack me g's detaining her won't you allow me to fetch you after the dance three or four in the morning no i'll give you a rest uncle lal or sam will take on your job going to the door and don't try to see me to-morrow g's sharply why not not till you turn up at night as usual i shall be a shocking rag all day g's breaking out yes i expect you'll manage to enjoy yourself thoroughly and dance yourself off your feet whoever your partners may be lily willfully expect i shall tossing her head up <laughs> i'll do my best she departs leaving him standing near the tea-table he takes out his handkerchief and mops his brow as he does so his eyes rest upon the telephone instrument on the writing-table and he stares at it he hesitates as if struggling to resist an impulse then he goes quickly to the instrument and puts the receiver to his ear geez after a pause gerard three eight four eight discovering that lily has left the door wide open he lays the receiver upon the writing-table and goes to the door and shuts it then he returns to the writing-table and again listens at the receiver is that the office of the pandora theatre suddenly imitating the voice of de castro is mr morth cooling in i'm mr de castro sam de castro gone is he oh is that you mr hickson yes you'll do about the supper party tonight that mr smith is giving to miss paradell you're there i didn't quite understand whether it's to be at the theatre or at restaurant at the theatre oh yes a large party oh that is nice who are the guests do you know yes yes oh and the boys oh some of the boys are coming are they hey haven't got the lift from mr roper yet oh he's been helping to get it up oh we shall have a splendid time the boys yes yes <laughs> thanks good-bye he replaces the receiver and stands looking at the door for a moment then with his head bent and his hands clasped behind him he goes slowly out 
End of Act One.